Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. Corey was an unemployed carver of saints and angels whose gift was of no interest to the world, or at least of no monetary value in the Irish village where he and his wife Nula lived. The two were poor, but an opportunity lay just around a year-long bend for Corey, one which might provide a living for them that wasn't entirely disconnected from his gift. O'Flynn, the stone carver, had offered him an apprenticeship chiseling tombstones. The catch was that there would be no pay for the first year. To live a year without pay was impossible for the couple, so Nula convinced Corey to go see Mrs. Falloway. It took a lot for him to swallow his pride and agree. It was Mrs. Falloway who'd lent them the money to buy the house and patch of land where they lived, and they'd not yet been able to begin paying her back. Mrs. Falloway had helped them with the house, because even though she was an English Protestant, Years prior, she'd been very impressed by the sculptures at a Catholic funeral, and soon thereafter, she set herself to evangelizing priests and bishops to hire local craftsmen to create new furnishings and carvings for their churches. It didn't work. But even so, Mrs. Falloway was so certain that her loan to Corey and Nula would one day be a credit to her, when the rest of the world, or the rest of the county at least, recognized Corey's gift for what it was. Sadly, the plans of no one in this story materialize as they hoped they would. Corey did make the trip to see Mrs. Falloway, but when he reached her house, he found it and her in a much shabbier condition. She graciously told him that she'd never intended for him to pay her back for the house, but also that she couldn't help now because her money was all gone. Unbeknownst to Corey, Nula had set out on a mission of her own as soon as he'd boarded, boarded the bus for Mrs. Falloway's. In the night, she'd remembered the Rhine, the Wrens, a wealthy couple who hadn't been able to have children of their own. She'd paid Eddie Wren a visit and, after pleasantries were exchanged, proposed having Eddie and her husband adopt the child Nula was pregnant with at the time. She had three others. No one would have to know about the money. The offer was excruciating to both women. But Eddie knew the plan wouldn't work. The town was too small. People would talk. Business would dry up. The women were caught in circumstances they couldn't control. For the remainder of the story, none of the circumstances anyone was confronting would change. The Wrens continue childless. Nula returns penniless to her children. Corey turns down O'Flynn's apprenticeship at the stone yard, buying a pair of boots and taking the job on the road crew instead. If there's any redemption to be had in this story, it won't be because anyone's figured out how to change the way things are in their lives in any material way. Which is probably high time I told you, is part of what makes this a quintessential William Trevor short story. Trevor's characters, in all their great variety, are so often caught within circumstances they cannot change. Which means if anything important happens, it almost always happens within these limitations, 
not because someone found a way to break free of them. Now, you might question using a piece of short fiction to investigate the meaning of the story of Mary and Joseph and their infant son fleeing from Herod into Egypt. But meaning always comes to us by way of story, does it not? And usually it happens when we lay one story next to another one. It's true of the various stories within Scripture in their ongoing conversations with one another. It's just as true when we look at the stories of our lives through the lens of Scripture, or maybe even as we look back at Scripture through the stories you and I are living out. If you didn't believe this is so when the sermon began, I hope you'll give me the benefit of your doubts for a couple more minutes. Because what reading about the hardships of a poor Irish couple pointed me toward in today's Gospel reading is simply that the Holy Family is also very much caught in a world that will not change its cruel and unjust ways for their sake. Remember that Mary and Joseph had made their way to Bethlehem for Jesus' birth because they'd been herded there like lowing cattle themselves by an emperor who wanted to count how many human beings his empire controlled. They were caught, whether Mary was bearing the light of the world in her womb or not. And sure, it's cool that angels appear to Joseph in dreams, just as they did to the Magi, warning when it was time to flee from Herod and again when it was safe to return home. But there's a way in which the dreams only emphasize further that the world just kept on being the world. The warning's nice, but how come Herod gets to keep on being terrible Herod until he dies, for all we know, on his throne at a ripe old age? From the beginning of Jesus' story, it seems clear that in spite of Israel's hope for a Messiah who would deliver them definitively from the circumstances of their lives, we see their Savior and ours caught in the same world that they and we are caught in. Redemption, the story tells us from its onset, will not come by way of a conquering hero or by one who transcends the limits the rest of us live confined by. Redemption, whatever it is in this story, will come from within these confines. Now this is not to say that God or the stories of Scripture are not concerned with the material condition of human lives. Nor is it to say that Christians shouldn't be concerned with changing the material conditions of people in this world who are most vulnerable to and damaged by its violent powers. Quite the opposite. Incarnation is all about God being present to us within such conditions as these. It's about God being subject to them and exposed to them fully in Jesus. But a central truth of the gospel story is also that if we hang our identities, even as people of justice and mercy in the way of Jesus, if we let our deepest identities before God rest on the conversion or the downfall of the Herods of this world, well, we're bound to lose heart. And this is very much something folks like us at Calvary must confront truthfully as we try to minister to the needs of God's most vulnerable children, right? We could very well lose heart because look around, friends. Herods are still in charge. People are still scurrying across borders and suffering chaos and damage because the rules are still made to serve the ends and the egos of the ones in power not the ones who are simply caught. 
But the Christian good news is that a different kind of hope is available to us from within a world in which God lives and acts among the people who don't get to write the the rules. In fact, read all the stories of our scriptures. It is consistently through the lives of the people most caught and least in control that God comes to us, is it not? God comes to us through the ones scurrying away from Herod and into Egypt. Grace and hope and new life is available to us through them. Grace and hope and new life is available to them in spite of Herod's continued grip on the levers of power. There really is a different story that you and I can still form our lives by the light of. It's a story about finding a freedom from the ways of this world even when we're trapped as much within its circumstances as anybody else. A freedom that comes from learning Jesus' way of nonviolent love, his way of mercy for and embrace of and even curiosity about the ones who are outcasts and powerless, his way of radical forgiveness, which is really about not pretending the circumstances of our past can be changed or undone, but also not granting that past power to reign mercilessly over the present either. A redeeming way really is offered to us, not apart from our histories, but from right here within them, insofar as we trust a different story from the ones the Herods of the world keep on writing new versions of. It's how it is, Corey said when he rejected O'Flynn's offer at the stone yard. He said it again when he went to work on the roads And Nula found it absurd that a barren wife and a statue maker, robbed by the adverse circumstances of his purpose in God's world, should live within a mile of each other. Fresh anger at the injustice of it all opened up in her, and it was an anger that she nursed even as she determined not to let her children or even her husband know about it. She tamped down her rage as she went about her chores, and Corey headed off for his first job on the the first day on the job that he didn't want. Once she had the house to herself, she fed the chickens, stepped into Corey's workshop, and the story ends like this. She remained longer than she usually did on her morning visits to the saints who'd become her friends. Lawrence with his gridiron, St. Gabriel the messenger, St. Clare of Assisi, St. Thomas the apostle, and blind St. Lucy, St. Catherine, St. Agnes, Corey had made them live for her, and she felt the first faint slipping away of her anger as they returned her gaze with undisturbed tranquility. Touched by it, lost in its peace, she sensed their resignation, too. The world, not she, had failed. And so one story presses a question upon another one, which presses a question upon us. If anger or resentment is what builds in us from living in a world that so often will not change to suit our needs or heal our hurts, is a truthful form of tranquility still possible for us? A peace that passes understanding, perhaps? Is there even a kind of resignation, if you will, that refuses to accept that the powers of this world get to define ultimately who we are and how we live? The gospel says that there is, if we trust a different story than the one the world keeps telling us. Because the world is what has failed, 
not the, ones, not the ones the world calls failures just because they're not in control. The world has failed, not the way of love that stayed alive in spite of it all. The world has failed, but God is not, which to any creature caught within the world's failures is the beginning of the good news that they are precisely the ones God still loves fiercely and still deems worthy to dwell incarnate among. And that a new life, a form of freedom even, truly is available to all of us. Not once Herod finally gets knocked for good from his throne. But here, in the way of Jesus, together, today. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.